my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today I'm speaking with Brian Rutberg, the founder and principal of 3C Communications. Brian helps leaders and their organizations build productive relationships with their key audiences, i.e. customers and also employees, partners, donors, volunteers, and more. He positions brands, products, and services, people, and initiatives to drive emotion and action delivering value and growth across organizations. Brian has extensive experience through his uh, career in corporate America, uh, Hewlett Packard, McKinsey and Company, and Microsoft, just to name a few. He has served as a speechwriter and executive communications director for the Microsoft corporate VP responsible for global customer support. His book, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, Love and Profit, 10 Ways to Transform Customers into Lustomers. This, uh, this book that we're going to touch on has 10 steps that you ten outline, tips. 10 tips to, yeah. that outlines how you can do that. One of them uh, really highlights the importance of communication, which uh, you're a master of. So I, I really want to talk about that area of leadership and the connection to um, great leadership and, and guiding an organization to mission accomplished. So um, thank you very much for, for coming on and, and having this conversation with me. I, I know it's going to be a great one. So thank you very much, Brian. You bet. No, delighted to be here. I mean, anytime I get to talk about what I'm passionate about and you know, share that passion and help people get better on their own journeys, it, it's a win for me. So, well, let's dive in to the deep end and uh, really, I don't know, maybe connect the dots with how you ended up in, in this career that you're in and what really developed that passion within you. Um, starting with where you were born and raised and, and what your early influences were. Yeah, and I, I grew up in Southern California. My parents, both native Californians, and they, they met and married young, and I showed up not too long after they, they got together. And as early as I can remember, my, my parents would tell you, I, I started talking pretty early and a lot. And was always, yeah, I was an early reader and just really fell in love with words, right? Words, wordplay, the ability of finding just the right word to get across and emotion and to, to stimulate someone's thinking. And, and that 
I don't know, that unique characteristic or that gift, if you will, turned into finding some of the right teachers who were able to provide uh, some, some encouragement and some direction. And it ended up, I went back East for, for college and was an English major, which was pretty on brand for you know, the, the kid that I was, the, the kind of the word nerd. Uh, and I can be honest at this point in my life and say, you know, pretty much a geek. And uh, you know, it, there was always just this fascination with, with words and language. Some of my early jobs included working for some magazines and then working for an ad agency where, you know, wordplay could do things like win you awards for different advertising campaigns and things like that. And at some point I realized if I want to have more impact, I'd, I'd better figure out how to get into some bigger organizations and went and got an MBA figuring that would be the key that would unlock going from like 10 and 20 person companies into very large organizations like the ones you mentioned. I landed at HP right out of business school and found oh, marketing, sales, managing alliances, all of these things reward people who can be clear communicators. And, and there's a whole bunch more around like the programs that you run and the culture that you grow that help organizations become really great at getting their point across to their key audiences and building the relationships. But I've always leaned in on the communication side and thus 3C communications. You began your career on the East Coast and eventually back to the West Coast and moved north to where you are now, Seattle. Beautiful Seattle, Washington. And I, I'm curious about your, your professional development. Once you um, started off at HP, what were some of your, your early mentors and how did they, they shape your understanding of the business and, and your really shape your growth and, and trajectory? First of all, kudos. What a, what a terrific question. It, it almost feels like we're getting into the psychology as opposed to you know, the, the, the corporate narrative, which it sort of turns me on intellectually. Um, on one of my first days at HP, you know, here I had gotten out of undergraduate school, spent four years working with you know, companies that were this big, and then gone and got the MBA. And maybe I looked a little like a deer in headlights or, or maybe I just gave off that newbie vibe. But one of the managers in the organization that had brought me in took me out to lunch and said, here's what we need from you. Just do what comes naturally, right? We hired you because you did well through the interviews and all of that. And trust me, the things that you know that you probably take for granted is the stuff that's going to make you succeed in your early career here. That was really good advice, right? Someone who from the start showed faith and said, you've already got what you need. You don't need to change who you are to be effective here. And within about six, eight months, you know, what happens in big corporations? You go through reorganizations. This was something fully new to me. 
but it turns out that the person who ended up leading the group that I was supporting, I was a field marketing representative working on programs developed by HP's different product divisions to bring them out to be executed in the field with a particular sales team I supported. So I was the unique one in the group. It was 20 or 30 sellers and a, a couple of bosses. And then this one marketing guy who was supposed to work across all of those. I got a boss who basically just made clear that he trusted me and started talking about here's the outcome we're driving to. Here's the programs that the product groups have come up with. It's up to you to connect the dots and make sure that we're executing them well and getting the numbers that we want and getting the leads for our sales reps. And that level of trust, nothing inspired me as much as that that's what got me thinking, oh, this is depending upon me. And it's what had me at the office you know, back in the days before it was easy to send things out and get color printing done and things like that. It was expensive. I was using Hewlett Packard products to print dozens or scores of booklets that were in full color that we could send out to participants in proto webcasts, you know, phone-based uh, conversations so that people could follow along and stuff like that. It was people trusting me and then continuing to offer challenges that helped me build on the innate gifts that I had and start learning what really works in a corporate environment, what works in business as opposed to the, what works in big business as opposed to the small businesses that I was familiar with. Many years later, after I had had, you know, I spent a decade at HP and then I got trusted with some new functions, you're helping push McKinsey and company and its leaders into some new areas that were a little more, a lot more dependent upon technology as part of the client service experience. I ended up at Microsoft. And once again, I found a boss who just said, here's the, here's what we're driving towards as a result. Go get him, Tiger. And this is what I consistently responded to, someone who just sort of trusted that I was bringing the right tools into the role and then helped get me the support that I needed in order to make things happen. Specifically, when I was running Microsoft's Executive Briefing Center, imagine a five-star hotel, not really a hotel, but like a five-star conference center in the middle of this giant corporate campus of Microsoft's and, and it was my team's job to bring in sales representatives from all around the globe who could bring top executives, top leaders from Microsoft's top customers and top partners all around the world in every different industry and in every different geography into Redmond, Washington, so that my team could arrange product updates and meetings with Microsoft leaders and figuring out in that environment, both my own gift for getting in front of groups and acting as a welcoming ambassador and giving presentations. So having the experience of getting in front of a crowd and building my presentation skills and finding the right mix of 
communications and programs and commitments made and relationships that could grow into bigger relationships in order to build customer love, customer engagement, and back to the title of the book, turning customers into lustrous. Folks who really wanted to see Microsoft succeed because they appreciated Microsoft's role in their success. It's a very long answer to your question, but you know, consistently people showing faith in me, people trusting my gut when it came to the communications, and then my own ability to grow my skills to see well, in addition to the communications, what else matters? That's been a real privilege. And of course, it was the Microsoft connection that brought me to Seattle, that, that ultimate migration from growing up in California to going east for school to joining McKinsey in the Bay Area and finally coming up here. Well, now that's explained. So, no, that's uh, there's a lot of really important lessons in what you just explained. Um, especially when we're talking about leadership, being able to communicate your trust in somebody and put them, put them in a position or set them up for success. Um, when, when you're in that position where you're the new person, where you're the, the rookie and having somebody that's been there, done that, Put their put their hand on your shoulder and say you got this that has such an impact Isn't that powerful yeah 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 no i feel very i feel very fortunate i have had that experience from a couple of different you know, bosses over the years and now i'm you know, 11 years almost past my corporate days, 11 years since I left Microsoft for the right opportunity to join a small consulting firm. And then a few years later, spun off my own thing from that. But to this day, the, the, some of these very impactful people in my life, I'm still in touch with them. One of them has consistently brought me into organizations he's worked with through his corporate journey in order to consult and write and support in a variety of ways. I mean, it, it really is a privilege. But the thing that strikes me as we're talking here is these are the same lessons, this ability to tell someone, you've got this, I trust your instincts and I'm here to be a coach, but not a boss. It's dawning on me that that's really the approach my wife and I took to parenting our kids, right? Little kids need a, a much firmer hand, but it's been a real privilege to watch our relationship with our kids as they've gotten into their 20s and out of their university experiences and into the real world. We've got a daughter who's an oncology nurse and a son who is an entrepreneur who is starting a landscaping business focused on sustainable design and such. We've turned into their coaches, not their parents. And some of it is because we knew the point at which we wanted to, as you put it beautifully, put a hand on their shoulder and say, you've got this. How can I help? Not go do exactly this in exactly this way and the results will follow. I, I want to trust someone to bring their expertise to the fore instead of assuming I know it all. Right? The best advice that, that many of us ever see is you know, surround yourself with people smarter than you are. 
that's easier for some of us than others. <laughs> I've never found too much difficulty finding people who, at least in many key areas, were way better than I was. Why wouldn't you trust someone to do that? Something that strikes me is your ability to uh, communicate and, and, I don't know, really craft a message for people that were leading the organization and them say, yep, this is, this is perfect and run with it. Have you ever experienced any pushback from, from these individuals? Yes. yes. Sometimes it's, it's not of monumental consequence because it's the executive who says, oh, I'm, I'm not funny. I don't want to try to be funny. Okay, great. I can write something that doesn't force you to be funny. What's harder to take is the person. I mean, I, I of course, if you're writing a speech, say, or working on a messaging framework for a campaign of information, whether it's going to be internal or external, there's it, it's going to come out of the experience of talking with the person who wants to get the message across. And you always want to start thinking about the message that you want to give and the way you want to communicate it with a couple of key questions. Who's your audience? What perspective are they bringing to the you know, initial engagement where they're going to hear from you about where you're trying to take things? What emotional state are they in now and where do you want to take them through any particular individual communications opportunity, the newsletter you're going to send, the speech you're going to make, the video you're going to shoot, the PowerPoint you're going to create for them to deliver? Where do you want to take them sort of intellectually and emotionally? What's the action you want to ask for? And what do you want to tell them the ultimate mission is that you're driving to? What's the impact or outcome that you want? Once I've heard those things, if I'm still getting from someone I'm working with, well, no, that's not quite right. That's not what I'm going to. I assume the deficit is not in me or them, but it's the way we've communicated up to that point. And the question becomes, great. What did I not ask you in the first go round that led me to this misunderstanding where I assumed you wanted to take people here and instead it's 25 degrees away from there. If I've gotten to a point where it's 180 degrees, it's clearly a, a mismatch and frankly that's never happened. But the pushback I tend to get is you is sometimes it's something very specific about someone's personality. I don't want to try and tell jokes from the stage. Okay. I get that, unless you're doing a roast or something, in which case you were a bad choice for that. And no <laughs> amount of help from a professional writer is going to help you out. But the um, the other pushback tends to be, yeah, it's not quite where we're trying to take it. Or now that I see this put into writing, I realize I left out these three things that we need to start taking account for. So no, I think if done right, you you don't you 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 set yourself up for success, both as a client who needs help taking people to the right place 
and as the person or the organization that serves those folks, it, it's hard to get too far off if everybody's approaching it with the intention of, no, we've, we've got an end here. This is where the hand on the shoulder comes in, right? This is where not boss to employee, but experienced professional to someone who has an objective, you put the hand on their shoulder and say, and say I'm going to ask you a series of 10 or 12 questions. And we're going to talk about them for a couple of hours collectively. And that's going to tell, that's going to clarify your thinking so I can give you the right words to say and the right framework to put it in. Pretty awesome. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I really enjoy what I do because if I do it right, again, back to the title of the ebook, I'm helping build love and profit. And that love relationship, it's not quite the same as, as two people, of course. But if you've ever said, oh my God, I love working with this company or I love working with this sales rep, that's, that's what I'm after in my career. And if I can take the person that I am and the professional that I am and make them one and the same by helping others experience that sort of high that comes from feeling like you're connected, but also that high from feeling like oh, I'm getting paid for this. This, you know, later in my career, this is what I've put everything together as this is the point I'm trying to arrive at. It's not all about the profit. It's, it can't be all about the relationship. And if you can put those two things together, wow, you're on to something super powerful. There's, there's quite a few things that you've said that, that triggered my thought process relating my experience in the fire service or in the Navy to different leaders that I've had and, you know, the type of leader that I wanted to be where we've all had those leaders that you're just like, man, this guy, you know, you, you're just like pained that you have to listen to this knucklehead and, <laughs> and do what they tell you. Um, whereas you could be in the same organization and have somebody else that you're answering to that is giving you direction, that is leading you and they inspire you and you can't wait to deliver what they ask you to do. And, and I think that we've all had that and it doesn't matter the organization that you're in. And, and I would imagine that those same lessons that you outline in your book uh, apply not only to the customer, but to the people that you're leading and, you know. Absolutely. I tip, tip six in the book, and I should emphasize, I mean, each of these tips are about a page long. So this it's a downloadable free ebook. If you go to www.3ccoms.com, there's a link there to grab it. This is, I'm looking forward to the day where I've got the time, energy, and great stories to tell where I can flesh the whole thing out. But tip six in the book is generate more employee love. Yeah, communicating with any given audience, it's very much the same because we're all people, whether the people you're communicating with are donors or volunteers for a nonprofit or 
partners of your business or your employees or your customers or your shareholders or, or, or. People need to understand why you're asking for what you're asking for. They need to see that clear vision, that clear sense of mission to feel emotionally connected to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the person who says, go do this. And the reason amounts to not much more than, well, because I told you so. Not inspiring. The person who says what the future is going to look like when we do this is this bright shining star or play the other emotion. If we don't get this right, we're going to start losing market share or whatever the, the negative outcome is. People respond to the emotion. So when you want to run through that proverbial brick wall for someone, it's because you understand what's at stake. You feel the consequence, and it does indeed seem consequential, right? Meaningful to you because you've been given clear direction about where you're going. And sometimes that's very clear direction about how to execute. And sometimes it's go do your thing because you've got the magic and you're on the front lines. And I just need, and you need to know that you're always pointing towards this outcome that we're driving. So whether you're trying to get all of your employees on the same page, rowing the boat in the same direction, feeling the same sense of mission and seeing that same vision, or whether you're talking to your customers in a way that is focused on them and their needs and the benefits that accrue to them, it's the same act. It's the same process. You're just thinking about you, you as the speaker and the communicator are putting the audience first and thinking about what do they need? How have they experienced this to date? What experience do I want to give them? And then how do I earn the right to say, great, now I need you to go do this. Another thing that you talk about in your book, which I, I think is, well, you've alluded to it a couple of different times. Really, when, when you're showing somebody that you value them, one of the most important things that you can do is listen, actually listen. And, and I, I was just wondering if you could tie that in and, and really, I, you talk about it early on in your book, which I think points to how important that is. Um, but can, can you talk a little bit about how you developed your listening skills and how you've used that to be effective in your role in crafting a message that somebody feels as though it's theirs. Yeah, you're referring to, to you know, tip number three in the book, listen with intent and intention, right? The intent to, to really hear and the intention to then act on what you learn. There's so many different little phrases that are coming to mind that, you know, sort of cutesy, but they do get the point across. We were given two ears and one mouth and we should use them in that proportion. Uh, or you know, when one of the best pieces of sales advice I got was, well, two things. One, don't sell past the close. Once someone says yes, 
then it's time to shut up and get out of the room before anybody has a chance to change their mind and you don't want to give them that reason to rethink things. But the other part of that is when you see as a seller, and let's not just talk about getting a check for the good or service that you provide, we're all of us when we communicate, especially in a professional environment, we're selling ideas, right? I want you to believe what I believe and see it the same way so that I can get resources or buy-in or you have my back on this. Once you see someone playing with your idea, once you realize I've got them synced with me, that's a great time to shut up because then they're starting to make the idea their own, right? If we did that, we could maybe as the person who's trying to get an idea across, you try and steer them in the right direction a little, but mostly stay out of their way. So if you, if you keep that in mind, you know what you're listening for and that makes it easier to shut up and listen. But also the other person in the conversation or the other organization in the conversation, if you begin with that intent and intention, Dave, tell me, tell me why we're here today. You took this meeting with me so that you could learn more about this product that I sell why, why this product at this time? What's going on in your business? Ask the question that gets the other person talking because really if you're bringing love and intention into the relationship and you as the seller of ideas or products or services want to see the other person successful, you want to know what's going to be meaningful to them. One last story. When I was doing, fun, I, I help a variety of nonprofits that are near and dear to my heart with their fundraising. I work with boards on board effectiveness and helping teach people how to have the right communication skills and conversations that lead to people wanting to make donations. And I received this bit of wisdom from someone who'd been in the fundraising business for a while. Ask for money and you're likely to get advice. Let me tell you all the reasons I'm not going to give you money right now, because I see this, that, and the other thing inside of the organization, and I really like to see. ask for advice, and you'll be very surprised at how often you get money. Tell me, what is it, you know, tell me, as you look at our organization today, I'll coach a nonprofit board, so you look at our organization today, where do you see us as having great opportunities, and what's personally meaningful to you? Are you drawn to, you know, what part of our mission are you drawn to? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, right. Or why is it, you know, this product can do many, many things. What is it you're looking for? What's the outcome you're trying to drive? Oh, now that I understand what it is you're looking for and you've been specific with me, I can turn around and tell you the things that support that part of your mission and what's going to make you successful. In the case of one organization, a, a religious institution I was supporting, it's like sometimes people were drawn to the educational mission. Sometimes they were drawn to the music of the organization. Sometimes they were drawn to the social justice part of their mission. If you don't ask, you don't know what they're drawn to. And if I start pitching you on all the great things we're doing with social justice, but what you really care about is the fact that we've educated your kids well, 
I've just missed a great opportunity to know what's meaningful to you and then help you think about how far your dollar could go if you gave to the institution. Dollars are fungible. The institution can use them pretty much any way they wish once they're in the door. But I want to know what's meaningful to you because then that helps create a long relationship with you where I can continue to keep you updated on all the stuff. And once again, I feel like I've given a huge long answer with lots of different curves and, 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 no, and, and all, all the, detours. All... But you, you've asked just the right question. <laughs> well, it, I think that it's all applicable when if if I'm in the audience listening to this, how does your response apply to me? And your response, given all these different perspectives, I think is ideal uh, for for whoever's listening. That's what we're after. Yeah. While I'm really organizing all these these points in the framework of my experience in the fire service, my entire career, well, the bulk of my career was in a very large metropolitan fire department where the communication from headquarters to out in the field was severely lacking. Hmm. There was all the mechanisms in place in order to communicate effectively. I just don't think that the higher ups saw the value and actually mm. relaying the why as to why we're doing this, why this policy change, why we're taking these steps towards changing the culture. And I, and I think that changing the culture of a large organization is one of the most difficult things you can do. It's not impossible, but one of the most effective ways to change the culture is to communicate effectively the benefits of those changes because mm -hmm. nobody likes change. But if you can communicate effectively why it's so important and how yeah. that individual is going to benefit personally, it just seems like a no brainer that at the core of all great leadership is great communication. And I mean, it's the foundation. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I would like to hear more about what you do in, in your organization what is the the primary mission and and how do you communicate with those that you work with what that mission is see that's just sneaky right because it, it's it, you're not asking me what i do with clients this isn't this isn't abstract advice you're asking what i do to to run my shop it sounds like and and that's that's a great question because you know do do i practice what i preach man i hope so um i i've got i've got a number of people that i'm really fortunate to have around me helping 
with the mission. And, and that word there, mission, is the first thing that I would say to any client I was working with too, right? If you understand what the mission is and leadership is clear about it and explicit about it and keeps it in front of the team on a consistent basis, because you're right, changing culture is hard and it only comes through repeated, sustained effort and communication. Keeping the mission in front of the team is important. And so I always try and do that. And our mission is, it's the name of the book again, it's build love in the world and build profit, right? I'm a hippie. I'm, you know, I'm the love guy who grows some of his own food and is a crazy recycler and composter. We've got a worm bin at the house. And, and I've got this MBA and I love capitalism and I love the profit motive, right? Love and profit, two very powerful things. How do I keep the mission of building more love in the world, one customer relationship at a time in front of my group? Well, first of all, I've got that short, simple phrase that is easy for people to remember. What are we here to do? Are we here to close this next deal? Are we here to put more people into a webinar that we're running soon? Are we here to get more downloads of our ebook? Yes, and we're doing all those things because we're trying to put more love into the world one relationship at a time. The vision follows from that. What's our vision? Well, we want to make sure that through our workshops and through our one-on-one -on -one, uh, coaching and training, and you know, to a lesser degree, to a degree that is somewhat you know, amplified with my own public speaking or the corporate consulting that I do, we want to touch hundreds of thousands of people. And I keep a spreadsheet that I occasionally you know, on a quarterly basis or so share with my team, hey, here's how many people we touched through the courses that we've run, the coaching that we've done, the audiences I've been able to address through a stage platform like this, as well as when I get to speak at a corporate event or a trade show or something like that. Mission, vision, and then where we started our conversation, trusting folks. I have this fabulous colleague, name is Christina Brennan. She is like me, client-facing, she teaches some of our workshops. She works one-on-one -on -one with some of our coaching clients. She does some of the writing work that our clients commission from us. And she's clever enough and smart enough and good enough at the marketing side that she helps behind the scenes with building out marketing programs and things like that that we do. My, the best thing I can do is find opportunities for her to work and then leave her alone. And we are, the two of us, supported by, we've got some writers that we work with. We've got some graphic designers that we work with. We're just starting to engage a videographer and an instructional designer to work with us on what will be our first online course. And in each of these cases, although those folks are going to be contractors into the firm, they're gonna know what they're working towards. They're gonna to know what success looks like. And that is how we're gonna maintain our culture of not getting too into the weeds of, our, of, our, of the experts business and focusing on achieving a goal rather than exactly how we get there. 
had the leaders inside of your large metropolitan fire department been focused on explaining, well, here's the change we're trying to bring about, and here's what we want our department to look like, and here's what we want our customers, you know, the, the citizens that we serve to think about us, it would have turned your perception from, I think your words were, nobody likes change. I disagree. People like change if it's taking them somewhere more special than where they are right now. And that's where leading with benefits and showing what the future could look like and raising expectations and letting people know they have a role in getting there. One exercise that your, your our listeners today or viewers today can do, I've found it super helpful working with client teams, working with teams that I led in my corporate life, put the challenge in front of people to write a newspaper article dated, you choose three years, five years from today. And it's an article about something your group has accomplished that hasn't happened yet, but as of the writing of the article, it's a finished thing. Write the newspaper article and then start asking the question, starting with a headline, team accomplishes amazing goal, whatever that is. Write the article, what had to happen between this real day and the future day that we're pretending to be in, in order to make that happen? And now you've got the team invested in thinking through how would we do that? And voila, you've got your blueprint from getting from here, for getting from here to there. So if the leaders had a clear idea of what they wanted this large metropolitan fire department to be able to accomplish and the way they wanted kids on the street watching a fire truck go by, think about it and what they wanted their parents to think, put yourself in those shoes and ask yourself, what, what's the emotion and what's the reality we're looking for? And then think about how do you get there? And suddenly it all becomes clear. And if you're being asked to do something back at the firehouse, something in, related to training or the way you communicate or how you reach out into the community you serve, now you understand the reason. And now you understand, I do want that change. And it becomes a whole lot less onerous to drive it because people do like change if it's taking them someplace great. I love what I do. I'll say it again. I, I, I just get excited about helping people achieve their goals because most people don't consider themselves great communicators. And even the ones who are good at communication don't necessarily consider themselves great presenters. Helping someone get their point across. I like to say, I sort of teased at it in, in the intro. When I get asked at a cocktail party, last night I, I accompanied my wife, uh, an outstanding elder law and uh, financial, excuse me, uh, estate planning attorney to an event honoring one of her former professors who was retiring. And of course, you know, you get asked, you've got your cocktail in hand and you're making the rounds and, and oh, you're not an attorney, what do you do? My stock answer to that, and one more piece of advice, have a good answer to that question that isn't as prosaic as, oh, I'm a stockbroker or I'm a CPA or whatever it is. Have an answer like the following, instead of, I run a communications coaching and training firm, something like that. I answer this question, I help bring more love into the world, or I help people figure out what the hell they're trying to say and then say it really well. 
That seems like a noble calling, much more exciting than, oh, I have a trading company. I love helping people figure out what the hell they're trying to say and then say it really well. Well, for those listening, the best way to connect with you, would it be on LinkedIn or through your website? Why should it be either or? Uh, absolutely. You know, check me out on LinkedIn. You'll get a good look at the bio and some of the places that I've worked in a few. You'll get lots of tips on business communications and building stronger customer and other audience relationships. And by all means, do go to the website, sign up to download the ebook, sign up for the newsletter. I would love to continue to give inspiration and give tips to anybody who's listening or watching this. So just go connect with me and let me know that you heard me on Dave's podcast. And let's start a relationship. You know, there, there's a lot of... What do we as content marketers do as people who want to build personal reputations and professional reputations? We give away a whole lot of wisdom. By all means, you know, as I learn from others, please come learn from me. So both of those things are good. Do download that ebook. I think you'll find it interesting. And let me ask you a question. I, I appreciate the kind words and I'm glad that maybe I've defied expectations instead of just meeting them, or I, I've taken you someplace different than you thought we were going to end up. What are one or two things you heard today that might make you try something different? And I'd invite those of you listening or watching to answer the same question for yourself. But if this has been inspiring, what's the thing you're going to take away? I think that one of the most powerful things, it, it was very simple, but creating that love and um, really being able to communicate the emotion or being able to communicate in a way that in, inspires emotion. Um, the importance of listening. I, I feel like I've developed that skill to a degree, I know that I still have a lot of work to do. Um, but one of the things that's been awesome about having this podcast is I've gotten really good at listening. Um, so I, I think that key point about listening with intent and intention to follow through I mean, what's the point of listening if you don't plan on doing anything about it? Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Love it. Thank you for answering that. I, that's when I'm leading a workshop, when I'm working with a, a coaching client one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, I love asking that question because that it's, and again, this just a communications, I, you could call it a trick, but it's, it's really nothing more than psychology and neuroscience ask someone what they're committed to, ask someone what they're going to do, and suddenly it makes it real. It starts to manifest. And you've picked two great things. Listening better, your admission that you can always get better. Yeah, we're all works in progress. So, you know, everybody pick something and just get 1% better every day. 1% better every day could be really 
pretty freaking powerful because all you need to do is, well, we all know the power of compound interest when we're saving for our retirement or something like that. It's the same thing. Get, get a little bit better at something every day. And it's very hard to notice the progress until you turn the calendar back about three months and realize, oh, here's where I started. Here's where I am. Anyway. I, that, that, the point about love, I, I think, and, and you communicated it really well, subtly, but I, I think you made your point, at least to me, that in order to get love, you've got to give love. Oh, yeah. And so to me, showing how much you care about your customer, about the, the people that you're leading, being the first to express that and, and show it with your actions, I, the power behind that, what will come back to you, I, I think is incredible. And it, just how you put it into words and on paper, um, no, it's fantastic. So thank you very thank much you. for your time. My absolute pleasure. Some people are a little squishy about the word love. Just let a client or a customer or a prospect know, I care about your success. No, I'm not going to tell you all about my product until you tell me why you want it and what you need it for, because that's when I can truly serve you. And that service looks and feels like love because it means I'm invested in your success. All right, off my soapbox, but yeah. Thank you. What a, what a, great set of questions to allow me to you know, roam a little bit with my answers and and I hope offer a little bit of inspiration for the folks who you've you know the audience you've built over the years super cool thank you so much thank you for listening to this episode of from embers to excellence please like and subscribe to my youtube channel follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.